Well, uh, today is uh, my first Lord's Day with you in an unofficial capacity, I, should, I suppose we could say, as your pastor. And uh, over the past few months, I've been asking myself a question. And the particular question that's been very much on my mind is, what am I called to do? What is it that I am to do? As I take up my charge here, as I begin with you here in Zion, what's my purpose with you here? And of course, there's a number of ways you could answer that question. I'm sure you could come up with a list of roles and responsibilities that you think a pastor should do and have. But what should be at the very top of that list? What's the one thing that I should do? What's my primary purpose? What's the, what should be at the very center of my ministry? Well, a few moments ago, we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you have a Bible, it would be good if you could turn there with me. Back to that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because here in these opening words of this letter, Paul reminds the church there in Corinth of what his primary purpose was, what his central aim had always been. And Paul spells it out a number of times in these opening chapters. Look at verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize, he says, but to preach the gospel. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, he says, unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Paul makes himself so clear. He says to the church, look, here is my great aim. Here is the great aim of the ministry, the great end of the ministry, to preach Christ. Paul's central purpose was to proclaim the Saviour. And I think surely here is the answer to my question. What's my primary purpose? What is it that I'm called to do? Well, it's to preach Christ and to preach him crucified. And what I want to do with you over the next few weeks is to begin a series where our focus will be solely upon Jesus Christ, to look at our great saviour, look at a range of topics, Christ's deity, Christ's humanity, Christ's love, Christ's cross and so on and look at these different things and for those of you who like titles to series uh, I'd give it the title the unsearchable riches of Christ and that's my aim over the next few weeks to look at Christ to preach Christ with you and it's my prayer that as we do so as we search for that we would unearth some of these unsearchable riches of our saviour that we would as it were you know take our pick and our shovel by God's enabling and deep, you know, dive deep down into that inexhaustible mine of Christ. And as we explore Christ, as we go down these various shafts of doctrine, I trust and pray that we would discover more and more of our Saviour. The one that Paul said, do you remember, he said, I hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But this morning I want to introduce this series and I want us to look a little bit more closely at what it is to preach Christ crucified. And I want us to look particularly at verses 23 and 24 with you this morning where Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God." and the wisdom 
of God. And I want us to think, what does it mean to preach Christ? What is Paul saying when he says here, but we preach Christ? Why is it so important that that is our central aim and our central purpose this morning? So then I want us to look at these verses with you. And I think that as we do so, you'll begin to see that it's not only my central purpose, my central aim, but this is the aim of all of God's people, to lift up, to preach, to exalt, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so I want you to notice firstly then this morning that Paul commends to us the greatest subject. Paul commends to us here in, this, the, in these verses the greatest subject. Look at verse 23. Paul says there, but we preach Christ crucified. You see, Paul singles out here one topic, one subject that he was going to preach, and that one subject was Jesus Christ. Paul was, as we just said, was reminding them that this was the central theme of his ministry. It was going to be all about the Saviour. You see, wherever, whatever else he spoke about, whatever other lines of doctrine, whatever th- other threads of theology that Paul pursued, Christ was always the one that he sought to magnify the most. Everything else ran back to this, didn't it? To Christ, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that didn't mean that Paul didn't address other things. You've only got to read this book, this letter to the Corinthians to see that Paul covers a variety of topics. But what Paul was saying was that Jesus Christ was his primary theme. It was his most vital subject. Preaching Christ for Paul took the preeminence. Now if you go over into chapter 2 with me in verse 2, we see there that Paul makes this point even clearer. He says, Therefore I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. To Paul, everything else had to fade away. Everything else had to recede and disappear. All he wanted to do was proclaim Christ. It's as if he was saying to the Corinthians, look, I'm prepared to study nothing else. I'm prepared to teach nothing else and to preach nothing else than Jesus Christ. And that leaves me with a question. Why is Paul so specific here? Why is Paul saying to the people here, this is what I sought to magnify? Why does he focus on this one subject? Why didn't he say, for example, I'm going to preach the Bible? Or I'm going to seek to build up the Christians? Why didn't he come up with a whole list of things that he sought to do? Why does he focus right in on Christ? Well, the simple answer is because Christ is the greatest subject in the world. That's what Paul is saying here. There's no doctrine, there's no theme, there's no school of thought or philosophy or topic or science that is greater than Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was willing, he says here, he was determined to proclaim Christ and nothing but Christ. His message wasn't about the patriarchs, it wasn't about the prophets, but it was about the person of Jesus Christ. And we could go even further than that, couldn't we? Because Paul doesn't just focus in on the person of Jesus Christ, but he then goes even, as it were, narrower, and he focuses on the passion of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says there back in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. Or in chapter 2 and verse 2, that verse we just looked at, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Or you could go back in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, he talks about the preaching of the cross. That was his focus. Paul, he had honed in on Christ. But now, you know, like a photographer, he gets his his zoom lens out and he zooms in and he he focuses on this one particular aspect, this one subject that he's going to focus on. He says, of all the excellent truths concerning Christ, the one thing I want to highlight is his great work at Calvary. Paul says, this is what I'm going to preach. This is my central message. Christ and him crucified. This is what's pivotal. This is what's paramount. You remember his words in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Remember what Paul said there? God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ wanted, Paul, all he wanted to do was preach Christ and him crucified. And friends, let me just say this, there is no other subject more noble, there is no other subject more comforting and more necessary and more profound than the subject of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, everything else is but dross, isn't it, when we compare it to Christ and Calvary. You can study whatever subjects you like at school. You can study whatever you like in your free time, whatever you read, whatever it is. But the greatest subject that we should study is Jesus Christ. You look at Paul what he, in his life. He did this so often. Paul was constantly talking about Christ and speaking about Christ. And he spoke about the cross, about Calvary, because there at Calvary is where he died for our sins. It's where he shed his precious blood. It's where he took our sins upon his own body on that tree. That's why Paul wanted to lift up Christ and Calvary. Because it's there that we find pardon for our sins, isn't it? And forgiveness and cleansing, cleansing in the precious blood of Christ. And I think there's a number of things that we can say in response to this as Christians. If this is the greatest subject... If this is the most noble subject and the most comforting subject, then there's nothing this side of heaven that's more excellent and more worthy of our time and study. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is, you know, of all the things that we look at this week, this is the thing that we should spend the most time studying and and looking at and reading. It should be about Christ. We should search out the truths of Christ and his cross and read about them. Because they're the most comforting, that's the most profound, that's the most wonderful and the greatest subject of all. Let me ask you here this morning, how much of your time do you give to studying Christ? And studying him crucified? I think if we have to be honest, don't we, much of our day is given over to so many frivolous things, isn't it? Many pointless hours spent in in self-indulgence, wasted hours on the internet and television and so on, and yet so little time spent in searching and studying Jesus Christ and meditating on him. As I said, Paul was constantly doing it. You just take 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for example, and as you go through it, notice how many times he mentions the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, he talks about being an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, he talks about being sanctified in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, he talks about the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, again, he talks about grace given by Jesus Christ. Verse 5, he talks about being enriched by him. That's Jesus Christ. He talks about the testimony of Jesus Christ in verse 6. You go all the way down through the chapter. There's barely a verse where he can't mention the name of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul studied and he loved Jesus Christ. And all he could do was speak of the Saviour. 
All the way through, Christ, Christ, Christ. He loves Christ. And so it just comes out, it just flows out, the name of Christ constantly on his lips. That's why we read Psalm 45 and we sung that hymn, that our heart is full of Christ. What does the writer say there, the psalmist in Psalm 45? Overflowing with praise, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. He's saying, look, I just can't, I can't get the words out. And what is it the psalmist is speaking of? His king, his saviour, his redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we sung that hymn, my heart is full of Christ and longs his glorious matter to declare. That's what we should be like as Christians, isn't it? Oh, we should just want to lift up Jesus Christ. I was thinking as we were just driving here this morning of a passage, a wonderful passage that shows to us what happens when often we speak about Jesus Christ and we think of Jesus Christ and we meditate on Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, when the two were on the road to Emmaus. Remember that passage when the Lord Jesus Christ, he's died, he's buried, and he's been raised again on that third day, but the two are walking along, Luke chapter 24, and it says, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. They were talking about Christ. They were talking about him crucified on the cross and all the things that had been taking place. And as they're talking about Christ, what does happen? The next verse, Luke 24 and verse 15, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. What a wonderful picture that is you see when we think about Christ and we speak of Christ and we and we think about Christ and him crucified it's then that he draws near and he walks with us on the way but the second thing I think we could say here about the greatest subject that if this is the greatest subject then we should do everything in our power shouldn't we to ensure that nothing obscures it nothing veils it nothing hides the savior and his cross Nothing must come in the way. Nothing must, as it were, precede him or top trump him. Every veil we must remove. Every barrier should be torn down. This should be the one thing that should be lifted up highest. And Paul made this point. If you jump into the next letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says this. He says, look, I I want to lift up Jesus Christ. I want nothing else to get in the way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and and verse 5, he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. He says, I don't even want myself to get in the way. He's like, hide me, veil me, so that Christ might be uplifted. I was thinking about this recently. I was buying a light bulb. You know, if you go into a hardware shop, there's every kind of light bulb you could possibly imagine, isn't there? I wrote down some of them, Edison screw, small Edison screw, bayonet cap, bi-pin, spotlight bulbs, fluorescent tubes, and so on. And then you get all the different wattages, 30 watt, 60 watt, and so on. Halogen ones, eco-friendly energy-saving ones, white ones, ones that are shaped like a candle, and so on. But what's the point of a bulb? It's to give light, isn't it? You know, once you put the, the bulb inside the lamp, you don't marvel at the shape of the, of, the, of the lamp, do you? You don't look at the bulb and say, what a wonderful bulb that is. You just glory in the light. In a sense, you don't care, do you, what the bulb looks like as long as it works and it gives light. 
And you know, we may come in various shapes and sizes, and we may have different personalities, but we must never veil and obscure the cross of Christ. You know, the preacher is not to vaunt himself and speak of himself, but he's to hide behind the cross. And we're to point, aren't we, away from ourselves and we're to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're to do in our evangelism. Point to the Saviour. You know, Spurgeon tells a story of a day when he was travelling home from New Park Street Chapel one evening. And it was late and it was dark. And in those days, the, the street gas lamps had to be lit each night. A man had to go round and light each, each lamp, each street light. And as Spurgeon was travelling home he could see on the hill distantly he could see in front of him a gas lamp being lit and just you could see the light come on and a few moments later a bit further up the hill the next light came on and a bit later on the next light and so on all the way up this hill until all the lamps were lit but the point was this he couldn't see the man lighting the light lamp in the darkness the man was veiled all he could see was the lights coming on going gradually up the hill and as Spurgeon saw that he thought that's exactly what I'm supposed to do as a preacher I'm supposed to light the lamp as it were and be hidden and obscured and veiled nobody's to see me and friends in our preaching and in our evangelism and in our lives as we witness to those that we work with and those that we meet we're to to pray aren't we and seek that in a sense that they would not see us but they would see Christ and they would see Christ and him crucified. And so Paul commends to us here the greatest subject. But notice secondly with me this morning that Paul, not only does he commend this greatest subject, but then he instructs us to use a foolish method. He instructs us to use a foolish method. This is very significant. You notice what he says there in verse 23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. Go back to verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul says, look, I have the greatest message, the greatest subject. But I'm called to deliver this message in a way that seems most foolish to the world. It seems to be the most foolish method of delivering this wonderful message. This is what he says there in verse 18. He says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You go down into verse 21, he says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Paul says, look, I was called to preach. But preaching's foolish. He says, look, the Jews require a sign. They wanted to see miracles and and signs and wonders. But Paul preached. On the other hand, the Greeks, they sought wisdom. They wanted cleverness. They wanted clever rhetoric. They wanted philosophy. But Paul preached. And you see, into both camps, it was just utter folly. This method that Paul was using was, was just foolishness. But friends, this is what we're called to do. You see, Paul was not called to use all sorts of means of entertainment to present his message. They had it in their day, just like we have it in our day. He wasn't called to seek the best actors of his day and train people up in how to, you know, be eloquent and to master speech and so on and showmanship. But Paul says, look, we preach. And the word that Paul uses here in verse 23, it means to herald 
It means to announce in sort of an, an official capacity. The picture here is of a, a town crier or an ambassador from a king, you know, entrusted with a very special and important message. It's actually the same word that's uh, used by Christ in the Great Commission in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 16 and, uh, and verse 15, when Christ sends out his disciples there. He says this in, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Christ says, look, go as my ambassadors, as the great king of kings, I'm sending you out. It's exactly what they did. You go down to the end of Mark chapter 16, you find that it says, and they went forth and preached everywhere. Same words. And the Lord was working with them. They went and did it. It's the word that's used of John the Baptist and his preaching. It's used of Philip in Acts chapter 8. It's used about Christ. It's used about Paul. It's used about the gathering demoniac. Remember that wonderful example when he was wonderfully transformed and he was sitting at the feet of Christ and we're told that he went his way and he published throughout all the city how great things Jesus had done for him. Literally that word proclaimed is the same word he preached. He heralded, he announced, like that town crier. You can imagine, can't you, the gathering demoniac afterwards going back into the city like that, like the town cry, going through the streets, you know, ho ye, ho ye, listen up to me. Listen to what happened. Can I tell you what Jesus Christ has done for me? It was the same for the woman at the well, wasn't it? You remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She said, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. She went back and she said, look, is this not the Christ? I've come to talk about him. Remember what I said at the beginning about our message this morning. You see, it's not just for ministers or the pastor or the elders of a church, but we're all called to do this. We're all called to preach, to publish Jesus Christ. We're to publish how great things Jesus has done for us. It's a message of good news, isn't it? You know, in verse 17 of our passage, where, where Paul says here, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul uses actually a very a different Greek word there. He uses the word that means glad tidings. And the point is this, this message is the greatest message, yes, but it's also a joyful message. It's a message that Jesus saves. It's a message that, as we've just been thinking, he came into this world to die on that cross at Calvary. Friends, this morning, let me ask you, when was the last time you told someone this joyful news? When was the last time you perhaps explained to someone how you got saved? You said, look, come, let me tell you about a man who, who's done wonderful things for me, just like the Gadarene demoniac. When did you tell, him, tell somebody what he means to you, what he's doing for you, what he's done for you, what he's going to do for you in the future when he comes again? Paul says, look, we preach Christ crucified. This was the great aim of the apostle. It was his aim when he was in Corinth. It was his aim when he went into Athens. It was his aim whenever he went on his missionary journeys. It was to preach. Paul went preaching. And friends, this morning, this is why this building exists, isn't it? This is why this pulpit exists. It's why this pulpit's in the center, because we believe in the centrality of preaching. And we believe in the centrality of preaching Christ and him crucified. 
And it's why I'm here this morning. I'm here to preach, not to entertain, not to tickle ears and excite emotions, not to you know, whip you up in some sort of frenzy of feelings, but to preach. That's what we're all called to do. Go, Christ says, isn't it? Preach the gospel. And Paul says, look, I'm not to do it with the wisdom of words, lest the cross should be made of none effect. In other words, I'm to do it plainly, I'm to do it simply. And, in our, and, and you know, for instance, what should we do in our proclaiming of Christ? It should be simple. We shouldn't seek to be clever but clear. And friends, there's a prayer for us, isn't it, in our day-to-day evangelism as we seek to win souls for Christ. Lord, help me, as it were, to, to have that boldness to preach Christ, to preach him plainly, to tell him of all, to tell people of all that he's done for me. You can pray that for me when I come and stand in this pulpit, that, that I would be hidden, that every service Christ would be uplifted that Christ and him crucified would be proclaimed from this pulpit. So we've seen then these two things this morning, this promise, this uh, rather this commending of this great subject. And we've seen how Paul then tells us to use this foolish method, but then he gives us a wonderful promise at the end, a promise of a wonderful outcome if we do this. Look at verse 24. He says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. See, Paul gives us a wonderful promise. It's a promise that while preaching may seem on the surface and to the world to be foolish, and while the world may mock and laugh and deride it, it is actually the power of God. And it's the wisdom of God. In other words, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it wields a divine power. And it has a divine wisdom. In actual fact, preaching Christ crucified, we could say, is the only divinely ordained means for the salvation of sinners. That's what Paul says here. Look at verse 21. He says, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. How is this possible? How can something so foolish be used by God? Well, Paul tells us it's because that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. He says the weakness of God is stronger than men. He says God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. You know, if you're a believer here this morning, you know this in your own experience, don't you? Salvation is not a theory, is it? It's, it's the very operation of God in your heart, in your soul. It was, the, it was in evidence in Paul's day. Look at the church of Corinth. What a wicked and pagan city that was. But it was made up of Jews and it was made up of Greeks, saved out of all manner of sins. It was evident in Jerusalem. It was evident in Philippi and Ephesus and throughout the world in Paul's day. And it's evident throughout the world today, isn't it? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let me ask you this morning, is this evident in your life? Do you know that dynamic, transforming power of God? I trust and pray that you do, that you know Christ as your saviour, that he's changed you. This leads me, though, just as I close, just to say one last thing. If God has honoured, if God has been pleased to honour the preaching of Christ crucified, and he says this is the way, this is the power of God, this is the, the dynamic way of, of saving sinners, if this is that divinely ordained means then we must never abandon it. 
We must be never tempted to think that something else will work better. And I say that because I think as we look out across the church with a capital C, across our land, it seems that so many churches have abandoned preaching, haven't they? Many of them have abandoned the old paths, as Jeremiah says. It seemed, you know, they thought that the world was not impressed with this. They were not impressed with the preaching of the cross, and so they diluted the message, and they've adapted it. And preaching has been pushed more and more to the sides. And we see, don't we, increasingly in churches a mimicking of the world and a following of the patterns and the demands of our culture. But Paul says, look, but we preach Christ crucified. And we're to continue preaching him. We're to continue proclaiming him as long as God and his providence gives to us. We're to preach the words. And we're to be instant in season and out of season. We're to blow the trumpet loudly. We're to blow it clearly, aren't we? Whether people listen or not. And you see, friends, here this morning, here's what we're all called to do. Here's what I'm called to do as I come to you as your, as your pastor. Preach Christ and him crucified. To lift him up. Knowing that it's the power of God and it's the wisdom of God. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning, may this be our great aim, even in our lives. May we take what is the greatest message in this world, a joyful message. May we take it using even this most foolish of methods, knowing that God has promised to bless it with his power.